When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate. You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did it. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people if they can become something more. Like the battles that we never could. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast but it's a discussion of Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and the Marvel Universe. And my name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Christopher Bruffett. How are you doing today? Chris, I actually got to see you in person recently. That you did, and you whipped my butt in MCP. I'm good, man. I just popped the Topo Chico. I'm still kind of a zombie from the drive back, but feeling good. We didn't get to hang as much as we would have liked. We got to basically visit for a few hours because, as you mentioned, Chris, on the show, probably before you left, you had to see a lot of people. I had a pretty large social network back in Tulsa. <laughs> it's good. Family comes first. We did get to play one game of MCP. Chris did post it on the patron Discord. A few photos. We had some pretty interesting lists. I was playing my current favorite list, which is Thanos Spider-Foes. And then Chris was playing X-Men. The X-Men list that you were familiar with, too, which was good. Thanos Spider-Foes, though, we'll get to try out Lizard. It was fun. It was good. You know, I just need to improve my tactics. I'm not used to playing against Thanos yet, so... Once again, my MVP was Rocket. It's always surprising, but there he is. He's a man that everyone forgets about because he's not a man. He's a raccoon. Everybody's always f- so focused on Okoye, so focused on Okoye, and then they always forget Rockets, and on that back point, range five gun, just unloading on people. That might be partly, you know, content creators' faults, because here in the I MCP, think so. you know, space, Okoye is talked about quite frequently. As she should be. She's very strong and she's a great all-around character, but I have almost never left home with Rocket. He's always done something for me, whether it's just scoring on an objective or doing something incredibly impactful like killing people over and over again and then having enough power to constantly booby traps while sitting on an objective. He's a lot more difficult to nail down than Akoya, you know? If you do something wrong with him, it is over. So I understand that, but he's just a character I I know well and I really enjoy. And anytime I can get him in group to the table, I do. And that's just my personal affinities. But, you know, today, Chris, we're not talking about our game, even though we'd like to talk more. And we will probably in the coming future because we're hoping to get a bunch of TTS games in too coming up. But today we're talking about the June news roundup and our first impressions of everything that was spoiled in June up until early July, which is now. Turns out it's a lot. 
So I think we just need to get into it. All right, let's start chewing. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy our show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution and joining the patron Discord. We thank all of our patrons for their support. This week, it is a very special person's time to shine. Michael, thank you so much for your patronage. Thank you, Michael. And as always... A big, big shout out to the Avenger level producer, the Zack Attack. Thanks, Zack Attack. He makes it happen, folks. All right, Chris, let's get into all of this news. Too much. So, Chris, we're starting off strong today. We're starting off with the Spider Foes, and I am so excited to talk about these characters because you and I talked about Mysterio and Carnage on the show, and we had a lot to say. They're very complex characters. Today, we're talking about Lizard and Craven for the Spider Foes, and they're not as complex as Mysterio and Carnage, but they're exactly what the Spider Foes needed. Namely, they needed three threats, and they needed some solid characters that kind of just work on everything. And it turns out these characters are that. So starting with Lizard, he is a three threat character. That's Lizard Curtis Connors. He has a stamina of six, a medium base and a medium move. He's a height of three and a threat cost of three. And his defenses are four physical, three energy and three mystic. And on his injured side, he goes down to five health, giving him a total of 11, which is, as we know, Chris, good. He's a big boy. He is. And what do you think about that? Four physical defense you know, on a three threat, he's he's shining his average competition. Well, you couple that with the healing factor and, you know, he's pretty good against physical teams. He really is. And take a quick pass at his stats and look at his medium base and his medium move. He's essentially beast in all of beast stats, yeah. except he has one better defense on energy. So just think of him in terms of this is the spider foes version of beast, except he's even a little bit tankier because he has one more defense on energy. And as Chris said, he has healing factor one and his superpowers. So if beast was tankier, imagine the things he could do. Well, let's just get into his attacks, Chris, because he has two. I'll touch on them real quick, and then we'll talk about his superpowers. His first attack and his strike is a range three tail whip. It's only four dice on strength, power cost of zero. After the attack is resolved, Lizard gains power equal to the damage dealt. But if you get a wild, if the target character is size three or less before damage is dealt, Lizard can push the character away short. So we've talked about on the show, Chris, four dice strikes are not typically that great, especially ones that are range two. Luckily, this is range three. That makes sense with Lizard's Tail. But this having a wild trigger of push is actually very strong. We know that pushes are some of the strongest things in all of MCP because, you know, you push a character that moves short away short, they have to spend their first action essentially to move back short. That's almost like a semi-stagger in some ways, you know. So though Lizard doesn't build power very well, he gets wilds and pushes people off stuff. And range three is nice. Range three is very nice with that. And that push, you know, it's it's one of those things you just, like I say this all the time, you can't count on it. So don't factor it into your game plan too much. But man, when it goes off, it's just, it's so nice. It is. And I think it's all in balance, Chris, because this right. is a medium-sized base medium mover, which is almost essentially a long move. We've talked about this before on the show on a small base. And then he has a range three strike. So, I mean, even when you whiff, you don't really feel bad because the correct way to play Lizard, in my opinion, after testing him so far, is just plant his feet somewhere. And then if he gets some yeah. pushes on top of that, he's doing his job and he's staying alive on that objective. Now, his second attack and his spender 
is called cold-blooded. It's range two, so it's not actually range three. I'm assuming he's using his mouth or his jaws for this one. This is seven strength and a power cost of three. Once again, physical again. But this is cool, Chris. We like these type of attacks. If this attack deals damage, so that just means one damage or more, after the attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed and slow conditions automatically, as long as you deal one damage. And with seven dice, you've got a pretty good chance of getting a damage through. Absolutely. The problem with this is it costs three and... You know what also costs three? It's Lizard's first superpower. It's an active superpower called Biochemical Breakthrough. Costs three. Choose the interactive terrain feature or enemy character, both size three or less and within range two, and throw them short. This can be used only once per turn. Chris throws are amazing in this game, and turns out throwing size three characters and size three terrain is really good. Beast's size two throw that costs two. We've talked about being one of the strongest throws in the game alongside Valkyrie's size two throw for two costs. So Lizard having a size three throw for three cost, he's right in line with Valkyrie and Beast. And this is what you want to spend his three power on most of the time. Throwing an enemy character away and also into another enemy character, Lizard loves it. And then maybe he strikes them and gets a wild and pushes them back further after that. Ooh. He did some nasty things to me in that game we just played. Yeah, he kept my Logan just out of the battle entirely. Yeah, he just kept tail whipping and throwing Logan away and kind of planning his feet and objective. And even when you would push him back, Lizard would say, okay, I'll just move up medium and I have plenty of room to catch up. I'm a medium-sized base with a medium move and, you know, he kind of plants his feet again. So closing out his card, Chris, he has three innates, essentially. He has thick hide. When Lizard would suffer damage from an enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. So once again... It's almost like adding another defense on all those defenses because he's just going to auto-reduce one. But if you're dealing one to him, like with a Shuri Ping or something, he has to take it. So we know that. And then also he has Healing Factor 1, which is when his activation is over, he heals one damage. And then, of course, he has Wall Crawler. So we already thought he was a pretty good mover, like Beast. Well, it turns out he is like Beast. Beast is a Wall Crawler as well. Medium-sized base, medium mover. He's going to get where he wants to go. He absolutely is. And we can't skip past without talking about his absolutely wonderful sculpt. It's been touched upon on this very show a few times. But they really just grand slam, man. He's just bursting from that New York sewer, ready to go. He's still got his lab coat on, ripped to shreds from his metamorphosis into yep. the lizard from Doc Connors. It's very wonderful. And, and a skilled painter is going to make that thing just the center of any table it is on. Oh, absolutely, Chris. This is my new favorite sculpt, you know? I'm not saying that lightly because we've talked about over the years doing this show and just us being fans of Marvel Christ Protocol, how many good sculpts there are. And this is my new number one. That's that's a wild thing. This is really good sculpt. It's very good. Well, there's one more thing that's going to come with Lizard that we need to talk about really quick, and that is his individual tactics card. This card is called Monkey Brain is Lizard Home. Love it. It is an attack during Lizard's activation. He may spend three power to play this card. Lizard may use the attack listed above once this activation. After each attack is resolved, each target character is pushed away from Lizard short. Now, the attack in question is an area two, five strength physical attack called Lizard Brain. Strong. Pretty useful on a point. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're playing this card not 
for the five strength because it's not obviously no. that high, but you're just it's playing for auto move everyone short away from lizard, you know, area two. That's great. And then, of course, you could strike them again with your tail, Chris, after this, you know, and push them again short if you did your tail strike. So it's neat. I don't think the attack cards get enough love in this game. And I think the space is opening up more recently with just certain things in the game, like the battle realm format and other things where attack cards and character specific cards are getting more and more play. People are more excited to try them. I don't know if lizards would be at the top of my spider foes list because there's a a bunch of spider foes cards coming. But, you know, if you've got a card space and lizards in your list, this might be a place to go because once again, Chris, lizard, you know, he's more than just a spider foe. He can fit other places if he wants to. I think there's a lot of places for him at this point. He's just so incredibly tanky. He's not dealing any damage (laughs) really to speak of, but he is a tanky kind of half control piece. Control can be understated for a three threat because, you know, there's a lot of three threats that don't have control. They just have damage or they have something else. They have support. I think he's one of the better ones. And I will say, Chris, quick summary of Lizard. I've played him a lot now. He's been an MVP for me. I mean, just imagine having Beast with healing factor and more defenses. And then, you know, he's just going to choose a point and he's going to control it. And that's a really cool thing because also keep in mind, he can throw people off and then he can tail whip. So essentially he could throw them pretty far and then he could push them again. And then do you really want to shoot him with range attacks and he's reducing it down and, you know, he's got healing factor. It's really cool. I think he's one of my new go-to three threats that fit everywhere. It's kind of like we were talking about with Luke Cage. Luke Cage isn't that flashy, but he's going to be one of my new go-to characters to teach the game is Luke Cage to new players. And I also think Luke Cage probably fits anywhere where you've got room for three threat and just, you know, you need this hanky character to control a point and, you know, to kind of do basics of the game. That's what Lizard is, you know? He's just a different version of this Luke Cage sort of thing I've been talking about. And he's not that flashy. His cards got very little superpowers and attacks on it. That's okay, because, you know, he's really about this 11 health with healing factor. And just think of if you get three healing factors off in a game, you know, he's really 14 health. So now he's in the realm of a four threat, you know, on the health side of things. So pretty cool. Now, we've got to move on, Chris, to a very exciting three threat that I know you've been excited for a long time, and so have I, because you and I have had hopes that we would get a discount Killmonger into the game. And that's Craven the Hunter. So first thoughts on Craven. we'll just go through his stats, and you're going to see that he's five stamina on the front, five stamina on the back. He's a medium mover on a small base. He's a height of two, a threat cost of three, and his defenses are three physical, three energy, three mystic. Chris, that is our baseline three threat. Yeah, so anytime you see that in a three-threat character, expect a lot of text (laughs) or a healthy number of dice. He's got a little bit of both. All right, so let's talk about his first attack here. It is a physical attack with a range of two, strength of five. Of course, it'll have a power cost of zero. After this attack is resolved, Craven the Hunter gains one power, so it is a limited Builder, after this attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed special condition. Now that's no wild, no nothing, just it just happens. So that's why you're only gaining one power, you know. And on a wild, you will trigger elusive. After this attack is resolved, Craven may advance short. So that's pretty nice. Five dice, you know, the drawback being only one power per time this attack goes off. No, no room for more, really. But 
that potential on that short move is really, really great, but it kind of plays into his next attack a little bit. His next attack is also physical. It is Spear Thrust. With a range of 3, a strength of 4, and a power cost of 0, after this attack is resolved, Craven gains power equal to the damage dealt. If Craven has already attacked the target character during its activation this turn with a Kikuri Strike attack, add 3 dice to this attack roll. So now we're looking at a 7 dice. Strike. Strike. 12 for the whole round if you've done it this way. If this character has advanced or been placed during its activation this turn, after this attack is resolved, it may advance medium. So there's no wild on that either. So Spear Thrust is going to be really good when you can set it up first with a Kikiri Strike, mm-hmm. but there, are, there might be times you want to use it just by itself for that medium move. Yeah, you've got to be placed before this. It's right. really complex, Chris. So with Craven, you could just plant your feet somewhere and you could spear thrust twice. That seems pretty good. Range three, four dice, four dice. That's that's not bad. Now, what's more interesting, though, is you could obviously Kikuri strike, like Chris said, maybe get the wild and get the place, right? And then you can spear thrust for seven dice and then you get a medium place. It gets really crazy, right? But also, I think one of the things we're going to see most with Craven, probably a medium move as his first action and a spear thrust as his second action, you know, and then he gets another move, which is cool because this is very evocative of Gwen Stacy, ghost spider. Who's one of my favorite characters, one of my most used characters. And Gwen has that cool thing built in her strike where it's like, if she's struck early in a round, her next strike does more dice. Or if she's moved early in a round before she does her strike, she gets a move after her strike. He's kind of like a Gwen in that way, where it's like there's things you do before the spear thrust strike, because essentially, Chris, he has two different strikes, which is really cool. You get more things, right? So it's it's an interesting way to play this character. And once again, I don't think he's going to be easy to play well. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so at all. I think this is a yeah, this is a pretty high floor character. Speaking of that, we got to get into his superpowers. He has three, and the first two are active, and the last one's innate. The first one is an active superpower called Corner the Beast. It costs two. Choose an enemy character within three of Craven until the end of its next activation. Each time the chosen character advances or climbs, it suffers one damage. If the chosen character has the wall crawler superpower, it loses wall crawler superpower until the end of its next turn activation. So essentially, Chris, this is Craven's own version of bleed. But it also stacks with bleed, which he gives out with his strike. So he essentially marks the target, which is so cool. They lose wall crawler, very powerful against the web warriors and other characters of wall crawler. If they move at all or climb, they suffer a ping every time they do it. So they could suffer two pings in a round. That's pretty good. I absolutely love this thing. It is kind of niche. You're not always going to be able to get a lot of usage out of it. But at the very least, you're getting some pings in. And mm-hmm. and punishing long movers and objective runners. I love it. It's really fun. I think you're going to probably do this as much as you can with his power because it's not something they can shake, Chris. You know what I mean? Right. The only way they can not suffer the damage is if they don't move the next exact time they go at all. In a weird way, similar to what I said earlier about Lizard with the kind of pushing people away multiple times as a quasi-stagger. Same with this. This is a quasi-stagger because if someone's like one or two health away from death, they're just like, never mind. I'm just going to range attack twice this time. Right. 
You know, I'm not going to move and they might lose the objective or something. But what's super cool is I mentioned the stacks of bleed. This is Craven's own version of bleed in a weird way. But then also if he gave them bleed from his strike, curry strike, which auto gives bleed, then they also would suffer one damage to the end of their activation from bleed on top of the movement pings. So that'd be another little ping. Start adding up. They start adding up. I've toyed with the idea of putting together a bag of just pings. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about a bleed team mm-hmm. for a long time. He might fit right in there. So closing out, he has two more superpowers. The next one is an active superpower called Expert Tracker. It costs three power. Choose an enemy character, as in just choose one on the board. Allied characters roll one additional attack die when targeting the character with attacks this round. This is Lockjaw's Bloodhound, but also on Craven. So that also means that this stacks with Lockjaw's Bloodhound. So Lockjaw can mark somebody, Craven can mark somebody, and then you just unload on them with the rest of your team, you know? This is really cool. It's very good, especially to just single out some of those tanky characters to kind of get rid of them. He can be a little power starved, so you kind of wonder when mm-hmm. you're going to be able to get this off. But if you can get the power to him, this could be very powerful every you know round, every other round. Yeah, and because Craven, of course, is allied with himself, too. Chris, he can spear thrust with another die, or he can Kakuri Shrike with another die. So it's really strong and very evocative of the character. Once again, they've kind of knocked this character out of the park, Chris. And his last superpower is an innate superpower called Elixir of Calypso. Craven may reroll one die in his attack or defense rolls. So his strikes just went up, his defenses just went up. Everything, yeah. Rerolls aren't as good as innate die because you have more chance to hit the initial crit. But still, him being 3-3-3 three, three, three on defenses and his strikes being 5-4 and four or 5-7 and seven are not exactly accurate because one reroll really does help. I love this. This is what Deadpool has, too, with the I Know Karate. It makes someone like Deadpool stay around longer and do more damage with his weaker attacks. And I think it's going to be a similar thing with Craven. So watch out. He's a three threat that might get you. He might. And I love that. But there's one more thing he might do. Oh, man. And we have to talk about it. I I don't really see this this tactics card making it. This might be the best tactics card in the entire game, but that doesn't mean it's the most competitive. <laughs> right. And that's okay. It's amazing. It is called Fearful Symmetry. It is unaffiliated and it is reactive. When Craven the Hunter KOs an enemy, Peter Parker. If there is no Peter Parker in your squad, Craven the Hunter may play this card. Craven the Hunter transforms into Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Replace Craven the Hunter's stat card with Spider-Man, Peter Parker's stat card with its healthy side up. Move all damage tokens, power, special conditions, objective tokens, and effects from Craven the Hunter to Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Spider-Man, Peter Parker is now part of your squad. This is crazy. That's very crazy couple things up front. If he kills any Peter Parker, as in the two Peter Parkers that exist in the game, or maybe if they're future Peter Parkers that come, if he kills any Peter Parker, this happens. Then he can can happen. Yeah. Right. If he has the card in his hand, right? Then he transforms into Corset Peter Parker, which is the four threat Peter Parker, the control Peter Parker we've all come to know from the Corset. It's super cool, Chris. It's wild. It's crazy. You go from this attrition aggro character to a tankier control character you know it's a thing there it is it's very cool completely contingent 
on some things happening, but also completely consistent with the lore. When Craven's posed as Peter in certain storylines, or even the death of Peter Parker type stuff, Craven at his grave. I know that art. Very good. This is not in your kitchen table games. We'll be very disappointed. You got to get this at your home games out there, you know? Just for the Absolutely. fun of it. It's like a deal with the devil, kind of, for Ghost Rider, but <laughs> for Craven. It's just weird. I love it. Also notice, Chris, that it does say he transforms into Peter Parker on his healthy side. So if Craven yes. was on his injured side, you're essentially getting a whole bunch of health out of this too. So really cool. Really neat. But we got to move on. We have a couple Web Warrior cards I want to talk about real quick. Real quick. First one is the Cat and the Spider. If Peter Parker, so once again, Corset Peter Parker or the Amazing Spider-Man Peter Parker, is within range two of an allied Black Cat, both characters may spend one each to play this card. Throw allied Black Cat. Medium. Black Cat does not suffer collision or damage during this throw. The throw is resolved. Black Cat may immediately interact with any number of objective tokens, of course, within range of her, without spending the power cost. So Black Cat pounces like Black Panther might do some damage from that. And then she gets to pick up objectives for free if they're by her. That's very strong. It is very strong. Once again, contingent on some things. You got to have Peter and Black Cat within range of each other, and they both got to pay a power, which is not a problem. The power is not a problem. But these are the type of cool cards you really take, Chris. You know, I think we're going to see a lot more of these in the game. You know, they add so much flavor to the game, just so much lore behind all of these characters and the way Atomic Mass brings that in with these fun cards like this, but also they're not just kind of, you know, fun, like Fearful Symmetry is more fun, even though, mm-hmm. like you said, it might be the best card ever printed <laughs> for this game. But the Cat and the Spider is very fun and very effective. Yeah, and like, let's also keep in mind too, Chris, we know how Black Cat works now. We read her on our last news roundup. And her just getting a medium move outside of her activation, and then maybe when she goes, she takes some objective tokens from enemies that are in her range now. There's a lot of cool things that can happen from this. I love it. This is more stuff to make the Web Warriors feel like the Web Warriors. Moving on, we've got Spider Tracker, which is another Web Warrior card, reactive. So the cat and the spider was unaffiliated. That just means Peter and Black Cat in a squad together. This has to be when you're affiliated Web Warriors. Reactive. After an enemy character ends a move action within range four of an allied Web Warriors character, so once again, a character on that Web Warriors list that's in your squad on the board, that allied character may spend two power to play this card. This character may advance short. So once again, Chris, out of turn activation movement is strong. Yeah. A card like Climbing Gear that people love so much outside of your activation, so you're not really spending anything to do it. Really cool. How much it'll come up in games, I'm not sure, but once again, it's range four. So this is good. It's not bad at all. No, I think this is great. No, I think it's it's really nice. And Web Warriors getting more moving is nice. Also, you can use this as a as a way to get away, you know, to be right. safe from someone coming to get you. The last one is so awesome. And the art is so good. Aunt May's Wheat Cakes. This is a iconic part of Spider-Man history. It's a Web Warrior active card. So once again, you got to be completely Web Warrior affiliated to use this. Any number of allied Web Warrior characters may spend one power to play this card. So anyone in your team, essentially, that's a Web Warrior. Characters that spend that one power, remove the slow special condition and remove one damage. It's just a little heal for everyone on its worst day. On its best day, you're getting rid of the worst condition on the Web Warriors, which is slow because they've got to keep moving. If they don't keep moving, they're done. 
And if they're not long movers, they're done. You know, Miles is a medium mover, I understand, but Miles being a slow mover is just, it's really rough. So this is a great card, Chris. I'm probably going to take it all the time in my eight cards and my Web Warriors bag. I think if you have a Web Warriors bag, this card is is a must include in the bag. Especially too, because the game is evolving a bit more towards single affiliation because we're getting yeah. a wider affiliation. So the wider the web warriors get, the better this card is because we well, have more people who can use it. But also if you just devote your entire bag to web warriors only, Chris, like you're going to take this card. Yeah. Everyone in your 10 character roster can take this or play this, which is not bad. Now we've got to move on to some spider foes card, which I'm very excited about specifically for Carnage and Mysterio. So I'll read Mysterio's card first. We did cover these characters, not our last news roundup, but our roundup before that when we were super excited about the Spider-Foes news. So if you want to hear that, check that episode out. This card is called The Grand Illusion. It's unaffiliated and it's active. So as long as Mysterio is in a team, he can play this. Mysterio may spend four power to play this card until the end of the cleanup phase when an enemy character makes an attack, defense, or dodge roll while within range three of Mysterio. It does not add dice to the roll for crit results, and Mysterio changes all of its crit results to skulls. This is awesome. That's very powerful. Mysterio gets in the dead center of the board mid-game, which is ideally where he always wants to be, Chris, because it turns out he's slow. Everyone range three of him gets messed up for a round with their crits. It's a weird, cool twist on the hex condition the defenders give out. Different, even better in a weird way, because he turns their crits into skulls. And then they don't explode the crits. So it's really defensive. If you want to close out a game and just kind of hold down those gamma shelters or, you know, something like that, this is a card to play late game. Oh, yeah. That can just completely wreck someone's, you know, turn five, turn six. That's just shaking my head (laughs) at how much of a bummer this card could be. Have it played against you. Well, yeah. And dice will be dice, too. As we know, you know, they might just get amazing rolls that are all hits, you know, that don't roll any crits. It's a neat card. Four power is a lot. It's quite a bit, but it might win you a game, you know? And it is completely evocative of Mysterio. I love that he's doing this massive illusion on everyone within three of him, you know? And they're just out of sorts and they just can't perform like normal, you know? So, Chris, there's two more cards and they're Carnage cards. I'll read the first one and I'll have you read the second one. So, these are more cards for Carnage. We thought the ones we got was was a lot already. So if you want to play your Carnage plan to kill things or control things on the board with Carnage, you have more options to do it. The first card is There Will Be Carnage. It's an iconic title and it's an unaffiliated active tactics card. So once again, if Carnage is on any team, you can play this card. Carnage may spend any number of power to play this card. Choose one enemy character within range three of Carnage for each power spent. We'll see how much power he spent. The chosen character gains the root special condition. So this is cool. Groot has root. We've talked about how powerful root is, but essentially, Chris, if Carnage has four power and there's four enemies within range three of him, he can root all of them. And you know, now all their superpowers cost one more. This is not what I would consider the title there will be Carnage, but I will consider this doing what Carnage does best where he kind of controls an entire battlefield, you know, with his tendrils. This is powerful. I was not expecting a control card <laughs> for Carnage. Yeah, me either. I'm I'm pretty surprised by that. It's neat. It's very cool. Again, I can see a lot of uses for it. These, this seems very good at the moment. 
I especially like it because it has no set power cost, right? It's like if there's two characters within Carnage's range and he has two power, he can play this. If there's four and he only has two power, he can still play this. If there's only one character he's dealing with on a side objective, he can still play this. So this is never a dead card, you know? On its worst day, you're paying one power and giving someone root. Ideally, you want to do it though when Carnage is in the middle of the board, hopefully, and just root everyone that he possibly can. But I like that it's not overly expensive and then dead on top of that. It's you choose the price. It's more adaptive, and adaptive is good. It is. The next card we're going to talk about is Carnage Rules. It is also unaffiliated, and it is active. Carnage may spend four during his activation to play this card. Choose an enemy character within range four of Carnage. Advance the chosen character short towards Carnage. After the advance, Carnage may make a symbiote tendrils attack targeting the chosen character this one we did talk about in our carnage reveal episode i'm glad we're touching on it again this might be an auto include chris if you're playing a carnage strategy because a free attack on a character who already wants to attack as much as possible in the span of one game is good but let's not forget most powerful part of this card it's kind of like a not as strong distance wise but it is like a subdued version of mystique's Deception card, which is one of the most played cards in the game right now. You know, Mystique essentially makes someone advance their movement towards her. Carnage is making someone advance short, but then he gets a free range three strike. So he's probably getting them. He's going to get them. And he's building power off of his symbiote tendrils is his power builder. So this is a card you play and you gain power off of it too, essentially. It's, it's good. It does cost four, which is a lot. It should cost four. You're making someone advance short outside of their activation and you're going to perform a free strike into them. Notice this not an action chris so then you could perform two actions after that with carnage yes really strong very strong three attack potential three attacks in a round probably enough for carnage to get the kill right and then he can paint the town red and then he can heal off of it which is what he wants to do all game we've talked about he wants to pick off characters and then heal all his damage off his card and just never go away (laughs) so that's that's what he wants to do now chris That's it for the Spider-Foes and the Web Warriors. We still don't have them here in America. I know several people all over the world have them, and I'm very happy for them that they're going to enjoy them. We'll get to play them soon. Turns out, though, we've got some characters that are even coming sooner than the Web Warriors and the Spider-Foes for us, and that's the new Avengers we got coming. And how could we not talk about Sam Wilson, Captain America? And that's what we got to talk about. Well, first off, Sam is a threat level three leader. Very cool. He is five health on his healthy side, five health on his injured side for a total of 10. He is a long mover, a size two. He is three defense on strength, three defense on energy, three on mystic. Long move, man. You got to love the long movers. I love the long movers. It's really strong. He's everything we'd expect. He's also flight, Chris. So he is a long mover that does not care about the terrain. So mobility is key with him. I think we're going to see that with his kid here in a minute. His first attack is a physical attack, shield throw. It's range four and a strength of four and a power cost of zero. After this attack is resolved, Sam gains one power. This attack ignores line of sight and the defending character does not benefit from cover, just like Cap and Taskmaster's shield throw. 
If this attack deals damage and the target character is size two or less, after the attack is resolved, the target character may be pushed away from this character short. So you have to deal damage, Chris, but you get an auto push short, very strong. And then just like cap shield throw, it has the wild trigger ricochet. After this attack is resolved, if you rolled a wild, this character may make an additional shield throw attack, targeting another character within range three of the original target character and any distance from this character. Statitional attack does not have the ricochet special rule, so you don't get to ricochet twice. This is cap shield throw, but actually better, Chris, because it has the auto push if you deal one damage. That's huge. It is huge. It's absolutely monstrous. But four dice. I know, four dice. But the wild dice doesn't, yeah, doesn't always get that wild trigger, doesn't always get that damage through. But as long as you get one wild, you get to trigger the ricochet. And sometimes a ricochet can be really, really detrimental. I will say this as a Rocket Raccoon player, you know, it's like if you attack one of my characters up front, it doesn't get through, but you get one wild. Well, then you get to ricochet and maybe hit Rocket or something. And that's actually a big problem for me because Rocket doesn't get cover, (laughs) number one. And number two, he has really low health. And Yeah, you're going to want to probably hit lower health characters with this, Chris, if you can, you know. But I think the push alone is infinitely more interesting than Cap's shield throw and super cool. When we just talked about Taskmaster recently, you're just going to shield throw when you're happy with where you are on the map, you know? You're just going to do it because it's a long-range attack. If you get a ricochet off of that too, really neat. Moving on, we've got Red Wing Assault is... Sam's second and last attack. It's a physical attack that's range three, strength of six, and power cost of four. If the Red Wing attack deals damage and the target character is size three or less, after the attack is resolved, the target character may be thrown away from this character short. Very strong. After this attack is resolved, place Sam within two of his current positions. So, Chris, this is really powerful. I mean, six strength is not a huge spender. It's fine. But if you deal damage and they're size three or less, you get to throw them short auto. It's not like spending power for a throw. And then Sam gets to advance range two. So, I mean, there's a lot baked into the spender. It is four though. You're getting a lot, but you're also paying a lot. But one of those things you're not getting is a ton of damage here. I mean, six dice is nice. Don't get me wrong, but for four, that's not a lot of dice. So clearly you are using this for more the control uses, you're needing that damage to get through. Right. And possibly, I mean, the relocation within two is never going to be bad. It's strong. Yeah, no, it's good. I think the throw is obviously the most powerful part of this, but the relocate within two, and then you got a long move flyer on top of that. He can do wild things with movement, but I've got to talk about his affiliation real quick, Chris, before we read the rest of his superpowers. His affiliation is the all new, all different Avengers. I love this affiliation so much. When this character or an allied character is dazed or KO'd, choose another non-dazed allied character. That chosen character removes one damage, removes one special condition, and may advance short. A character may be affected by this leadership only once per round. The Sam Swarm is here. We have Swarm Avengers now. I say Swarm, Chris, because if you're not maximizing the amount of characters when you play with Sam, you're not going to get as much out of his affiliation. The heal is good. The removing condition is good. The move someone else short is huge. That's really what it is. You send a Koye or somebody up the middle to hold an objective, she gets dazed. That's fine. Hawkeye just got a short move and healed one. You know, Sam got a short move and healed one. Like Everybody's always getting Avengers Assemble throughout the game in little ways, which is one of the better cards of the game. 
I feel like this is another example of a very high skill, high ceiling leadership ability. But man, it's really opening up some swarm possibilities that we haven't really seen, you know, since I guess Wakanda came into the game. We've had Wakanda and uh, Guardians as the swarm factions. But what's funny is like, Guardian's leadership does not help their swarm ability. It just makes them better dealing damage. Kind of the same with Wakanda too. You know, they've got makeups of cheap yeah. teams. This is like, if you can get all the cheap Avengers and then the cheap non-affiliated people, but keep your Avengers number up, and then people start getting dazed and KO'd, you just get all these free movements and heals throughout the game. Very high ceiling, Chris. You're absolutely right. This is my new Avengers team, like through and through. Just because I love Sam. Yeah, I knew it would be. I knew it would be for you. And you know I love the Guardians, and I've played really well with the Guardians over time and done well with them, and they're arguably the weakest Swarm team now. They were arguably potentially one of the stronger Swarm teams, but now Sam's team exists, and not only do the Avengers have more members, so it makes the Swarm easier to do, this is a much better Swarm ability. And you know what's great too, Chris? Like I think the Guardians slot right into this team. The Rockets and Draxes of the world, you know, fit right in. So let's talk about his superpowers now. He has four, one active, two reactive, and an innate. The first active is an action as well. It is charge. It's going to cost you two power. Sam immediately makes a move action followed by an attack action. This superpower can only be used once per turn. We've seen this on quite a few characters at this point. You're going to see it on quite a few more going forward. I always like it. Powerful, Chris, because he can long move sideways to an objective shield throw baked into that and not lose any action economy. With that range four shield throw, this can be useful, you know, from turn two onward. Man, he looks so fun. <laughs> His next superpower is a reactive superpower. It is airlift. It will also cost you two. During its activation, when Sam begins a move action within range two of another allied character of size two or less... He may use this superpower. After this move action is resolved, place that allied character within range two of its current position. This superpower can only be used once per turn. So you're not exactly getting Sam's movement out of this. For two power, you're getting a range two out of turn movement for someone on your team. If the swarm is going as wide as you would like it to with Sam, you're going to have options to do this almost every turn as well. The more I read of Sam here, the more I think he's going to be a very power-starved guy. He is. Yeah. Chris, this is incredibly powerful. But once again, he doesn't build power very well. You know, his shield throwing gives him one power when he does it. He doesn't gain power for damage dealt. That limits his power level with this. Chris, this is drop-off. It's just not as good. Right. This is She-Hulk's special delivery, just not as good. This is cool. Like, Sam could start a turn by somebody, pay two power, and then move long, and then he's placing them range two. It's a subdued drop-off, and I love that because drop-off was completely banned from the game. But now we've got a cool version of drop-off, which we've seen in the movies and the comics many times from the Falcon and from Captain America, Sam. So it's very iconic, and I'm very happy it made it on the card. Yeah, me too. I think it's very, very good. And once again, very useful with the Swarm. I can't cannot state that enough. The Vibranium Shield will be his next superpower. It is also going to cost two power. When Sam is targeted by physical or energy attacks he may use this superpower add two dice to this character's defense roll against that attack 
Always good. This makes him infinitely more tanky. It does, but since his mobility is so good, Chris, and since he has charge with shield throw, Mm -hmm. you don't want to use it vibranium. Yeah, this is the power you're not going to use often, but you know it might come in much in the clutch. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's the get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not like Cap, where Cap's saying, I'm planting my feet somewhere, I can do this all day, I can bodyguard, and I can vibranium shield. This is a different type of Captain America. This is mobility and flightiness, you know? This is not cat from the core set where you want to vibranium shield as much as possible you want you know to bodyguard as much as possible sam is more support and also keep in mind if you're playing the swarm tactics what we're calling the sam swarm if you're playing the sam swarm he's got to survive all game chris you know to get all these swarm benefits so you really are playing him more like hit and run and then late game when he's got a bunch of power and he's kind of standing his ground somewhere that's when you vibranium shield a lot you know because Ideally, at that point, the rest of your team's moved up. You don't need to do the Sam drop-off. And maybe you can do some Vibranium Shields then and some Red Wing attacks and close out the game for you. Maybe. He's not a heavy hitter, but he is incredibly mobile, incredibly powerful. I, I think he's a great fit in regular Avengers, Chris. Because Charge for one, or Airlift for one, or Vibranium Shield for one are good. Extremely. I was also thinking how nice he would be just in A-Force. Yes, some extra movement, generating a lot of extra power that he would be able to absolutely use. Oh man, so good. Well, we got to talk about his card, his tactics card, Bird of Prey, unaffiliated reactive. So once again, Sam can play this, even if he's not an Avenger. When Sam Wilson targets an enemy character that has the flight superpower with an attack, he may spend two power to play this card. Sam adds three dice to the attack roll against that character and may reroll any number of attack dice during this attack. If this attack deals damage, the enemy character loses flight superpower until the end of the round. Oh, that's nice. He's hunting down... Other characters with flight. Air superiority. Yep. He just gets more dice against you, and then you lose flight for a turn, which could be crucial if it's a heavy terrain map. I think this probably makes your eight, and you only pull it out when you see your opponent has, like, maybe two characters with flight, you know? I think it's good. It's fine. But it is weird that it's contingent on the flight thing, you know? This is where the uh, super competitive community will probably claim this card is really bad and never give it any notion. But, you know... What's cool about this, Chris, is two power for three dice. Okay, that's really powerful. That's why the flight thing matters. That's why they made the contingency there, because no other card in the game gives you this many dice and takes away a feature of someone's card, like an innate superpower like flight. So it's neat. But another card that comes with him is Eyes on the Prize. It's unaffiliated and active. At the start of any active allied character's activation, it may spend one power to play this card. During the activation, the character that spent the power can interact with objectives at range two instead of range one. So Chris, this gives... The character that spent power this way, Toad's Tongue ability for the round. Interesting. I like it. I like it a lot. I don't think a card like this will ever be bad or go away. Nope. Now, Chris, we've got to talk about another huge standout in Marvel Crisis Protocol. He's Sam's box mate, and that's James Rhodes. Rhodey, War Machine, he might be the new damage three threat in the game. He might be dethroning Hawkeye from range. We'll see. Well, it's a different kind of damage. It's a completely different kind of damage. The team at AMG, Chris, they continue to give us this buffet of three threats. And I don't think it's never going to stop. You know, we just talked about how no. good Lizard and Craven are. And now we just talked about Sam and James Rhodes, a war machine, and how good they are. And it's not so much like a power level thing. It's pick your play style. And pick your characters. I think War Machine is a perfect example of that. Well, let's talk about him real quick. Of course, he's not 
a super deep character. Right. He's he's pretty much just a damage dealer. He is not pretending to do anything else. So there's not going to be a ton to really state with him there. It's going to be all obvious, but let's go through it real quick. He is going to be five health on his healthy side, five health on his injured side for a total of 10. He is a medium mover. He is size two, threat level three, as we have said, physical defense of four, energy defense of three, mystic defense of three. Pretty standard three costs here, but he's got that improved physical, which kind of makes sense. Yeah. All of his attacks are physical. Yeah. And speaking of, he's got three. Let's <laughs> do them real quick. The first one is Metal Storm. It is a beam three attack, five dice, zero power cost. After each attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. Unbelievable. On a wild, he will trigger bleed. This character can build some power. Yeah, this is one of the best low threat character strikes in the game, Chris, for sure. His next attack is going to be Rocket Pods, also physical. It is going to be range four, strength four. Power cost of zero. It has the barrage special condition. After this attack is resolved, War Machine may make an additional rocket pause attack. This attack must target another character within range two of the original target character. This additional attack does not have the barrage special rule. So this is really great if you're going up against an opponent that's maybe clustered on an objective, you know, Gamma Shelters are very, very popular in that. That's somewhere this could be pretty fun. A total of eight dice, range four. That's not bad at all. No, it's really strong. Couldn't do it twice. It does have that contingency of range two. But, you know, in the right situation, that's that's going to be very cool. And his last attack, this is going to be the one that's got people talking. Mm-hmm. It is empty the clip. It is also physical attack. Range three. Strength of eight, power cost of four. Expensive. It is expensive, but he builds a lot of power, which is funny because this is the only thing he has to spend it on. (laughs) And for being such a battery, he can only do this empty the clip thing so often. We'll get to that. When rolling additional dice for critical results during this attack, roll two additional dice instead of one for each critical in the attack roll. Well, that is absolutely awesome because you're probably going to get a couple criticals in that eight dice pool. But we have one more clause here. After this attack is resolved, War Machine suffers one damage for each critical in the attack roll. I think that's going to be the initial attack roll of eight dice, not your extra dice, I don't think, because they don't explode as well. But man, you can absolutely KO yourself with this. I mean, you could roll into some crits, though, too, Chris, and they could deal damage to you. But, I mean, you don't, oh, expl- you can do you, that. You don't okay. explode those crits, but you could. Uh, there's only one crit on every die, but, yeah, it starts getting out of control, right, when you start rolling more dice. This is so cool, Chris. Like, what a way just to have a giant dice pool and risk it all. Oh, yeah, man. You just do this late game and empty the clip and finish off enemies, and you just don't care if War Machine's gone. Because, as you said, Chris, his goal is to deal damage, and if he's dealt damage all game, late game, you really don't care about the risk. Also, the first thought that came to my mind when I saw this was, oh, okay, so I beam twice with War Machine, 
with two actions, and then I all you got, and I empty the clip twice. Mm. If he's going to die or he's going to daze himself from all you got, it's just going to happen. You know what I mean? But either way, he's going to daze himself. But how cool is that? Closing out his card, he has, very similar to the Invincible Iron Man, he has the innate ability Titanium Armor Plating. When this character would suffer damage from enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one, just like we talked about on Lizard, and of course on the Invincible Iron Man. And then of course, just like the Invincible Iron Man, he has the innate superpower flight he's really nothing to scoff at chris i mean a free threat with flight and reduced damage by one and really good attacks is powerful honestly i think the thing that blows me the most away about him is not empty the clip even though it's an incredible way to finish the game it's metal storm it's a range three beam oh i love it strike that builds power it's not even like vision strike where it's like you gain a power after each attack is resolved, which is very powerful to vision, but you could potentially strike and get a whole bunch of power off this, Chris. Oh, yeah. It's strength five, strength five, strength five. Depends on how many people you beam, right? But really neat. And bleeds, not bad. I think he's a stellar addition to the game, and I think he's going to fit a lot of places. And how cool is that? You know, I mean, what's funny is he fits amazingly in Sam's Avengers. I don't think he yes. fits in Cap's Avengers at all. Because he doesn't have anything superpower-wise. I agree with you 100%. Taking him in Caps Avengers, unless it's just a very niche situation, just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, just take Hawkeye and have that cost one hook arrow, right? But, you know, we've always talked about on this podcast, and I'll continue to tout it, you know, not everything is the affiliation ability. You still can take Ant-Man and War Machine and stuff in Caps Avengers, and they, they help you maintain affiliation. And if you've got a plan with them, you got a plan with them. It doesn't matter if you're not using Caps ability. Yeah. Absolutely. But inversely, this man in Sam's team is out of control, Chris, because they want to kill him. And if they don't kill him, he's doing a bunch of damage. And if they kill him, the rest of his team gets to heal and move. There's just a lot of things happening here. I mean, he could even daze himself. Yeah. And then Sam gets a free short move or something. Like, there's a lot of synergy. It's weird how much synergy it is. And then, of course, he has flight. Sam has flight. Sam could drop him off, and then he could fly somewhere pretty easily. There's cool things happening, right? It's really powerful. I think he's the first person I grab on my Sam team, for sure. I love it. And then I grab those two and three threat Avengers, and we start building a swarm list. Sure. Moving on, Chris. We've got an incredibly, incredibly exciting character to talk about. One that you and I have been looking forward to for some time. And he's even better than I thought. That's Omega Red. I'm not going to pretend to pronounce Omega Red's full name until our lore episode. If you want to give it a oh, shot. Oh, I got it. Arkady Gregorovich Rosovich. That's some good uh, American Russian there. Oh, yeah. I watched The Hunt for Red October like a week ago. Oh, man. I used to watch that one all the time. That used to be, yeah, that was dad. a weekly a weekly watch with the, with the old dad. The transition from the Russian to the English is still one of the genius filmmaking techniques. I, I think it's like, you know, early on the film when the sound just switches. Yep. It's really cool. So- Omega Red, we don't know where he fits on affiliations yet, Chris, but we have his full card. So let's talk about his full card. He is a four threat character, so keep that in mind. He has six stamina on his healthy side and six stamina on his injured side for whopping 12. He's a medium-sized base, but he's only a short mover. He's a height of three because he's pretty big. And then his defenses are three physical, three energy, and four mystic. I will say while we're here... He does have the innate superpower of his Carbondium armor. It's very similar to Lizard we've talked about today. And, and of course, War Machine, when this character would suffer damage from enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. So his defense is being 3-3-4. Three, three, it's a, similar to a Lizard situation, Chris. Lizard was 4-3-3. Three, three. 
but then you have that innate reduced by one. Omega Red's got the same thing, except Mystic is his most powerful. I love that. You know, it's that red room, that red room uh, involvement there. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of four threats, so let's dig in here. His first attack is a physical attack. It is Carbondium Coils. Range 3, Strength 5, Power Cost 0. After this attack was resolved, the character gains power equal to the damage dealt. So, you know, your standard, this is a pretty good builder. It's also going to trigger Drain Life. That's not with a wild, this just happens. After this attack is resolved, if the attack dealt damage, this character removes 1 damage from itself. Mm. So this is playing into Omega Red's kind of vampire also part of that healing factor crowd even though he doesn't expressly have healing factor on his card i love it it's really cool baked into his strike too because as we know moving and doing your strikes are typically some of the most common things you do in marvel crisis protocol so he's gonna get some heals off chris his second attack is also range three so it's really nice to keep in mind that all of his attacks are range three it's a physical attack called red terror it's range three strength of seven and power cost of four before choosing a target, Omega Red chooses whether sack is physical or energy, very similar to Green Goblin. He has a wild trigger, Absorb Essence. Change one of the defending character's crit, wild, or block results to a skull. This character gains one power for each die changed this way. So this is basically Omega Red's better version of Pierce. It's awesome. It's good. Honestly, it's gaining one power. After you pierce. After you pierce. Pierce was already my favorite. Right. And now you're just giving me more with it. I mean, what's next? I get a free short move next. (laughs) Right. That's incredible. It's good. It's expensive, but Mm -hmm. it's a spender. Yeah, it's it's got some pretty big spike potential. His first superpower is an active superpower. It is death factor. It's gonna cost you two. Omega Red and enemy characters within range two of Omega Red with the poison special condition, suffer two damage in the order of your choosing. This superpower can only be used once per turn. So I'm seeing a poison team about to happen. That's true. I'm seeing poison cards being pulled out everywhere. I'm seeing the Inhumans splash being a big deal Yeah, in the competitive scene. He's going to love the Terragenesis objective. Absolutely. Also, he might be a best friend of Viper because she gives out poison left and right. We will see. His next superpower is another active superpower called Ensnare. It costs two. Looks very similar to something Venom has. Push an enemy character within four and in Omega Red's line of sight towards Omega Red medium. A character can be pushed by the superpower only once. This is very powerful, Chris. Venom's doesn't have a line of sight restriction because it's the symbiote tendrils that's going around things. Omega Red has to see somebody so he can ensnare them with his his classic, classic cables. But paying two to move someone medium is really strong. It's really good. I'm really liking, really liking Omega Red. So let's move on to his his innate superpowers here. His first one we touched on, Carbondium Armor. This is his damage reduction mm-hmm. power, which I love in every form, no matter what they call it. His next one is Death Spores. Enemy characters that end their activation within range two of this character gain the poison special condition. Additionally... At the end of this character's activation, enemy characters within range two of it gain the poison special condition. And what do you know? He's immune to poison. Right. As so his last superpower. He seems like an absolute monster, but he also, and this is what I was going to say, kind of seems like my kind of almost perfect idea of a four threat. Okay. 
someone that has absolute nuts potential. But of course, you know, not every plan survives getting hit in the face. Well, that's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. He has an enormous amount of potential. He has the potential to be the character you kind of almost build a section or a suite of your team out as as the main focal point. Just I agree. Have two characters there just to support him, but it's not oppressive and it's not to the point of being overpowered. He's definitely making risks with positioning to make death spores effective. Well, and jumping off what you said there, Chris, I think it's very similar to our last news roundup discussion, where we're talking about this new space that Atomic Mass is really pursuing with their four threats, which really intrigues us both, where it's like, Mr. Sinister is great by himself, but if you tech right. your team around him, you've got a different thing going on. And I think it's the same thing with Omega Red here. I think Omega Red is really good. He's strong. He's a good control damage piece. But then if you tech into poison, if you add allies that have poison, if you kind of play around his control of the areas he's in, you've kind of got like a sub-affiliation going on within your affiliation. And that's a cool new thing they're adding with these four threats that I'm really, really digging so much. You don't have to play Sinister with any of his cards. You can just play Sinister normally. But then if you tech into his cards, you add in cloning, you add in samples, you add in all this stuff, you've got a different game on top of your affiliation and the game itself. I don't think any Mega Red is very different from that. Well, and that's going to bring up the question, are we heading towards a day and a future where a non-affiliated team is actually viable? I think we are very, very soon, if not now. For this reason alone, Chris, like there's teams where you can go really wide with a plan in mind, whether that plan be conditions, like you said earlier, right? just controlling your opponent with conditions and you don't care about affiliation. And then you also get to bring in weird characters that you would never get to bring in. I think that day is coming soon. And I think also that day probably is here now for weird threat values. You know, people are just a little scared to do it, but I think it probably well, can of work. Course. I think characters like Sinister and Omega Red are proof to that. And I think there's just some interesting design and, and uh, list building space that everyone hasn't fully dived into yet. And I think we're going to try to crack it here on Fury's Finest, but more importantly, we just try to have fun. And I think making a team that's all about conditions and poison and things like that just could be really fun and different and something you probably want to explore. I'm definitely going to, but of course, we're just going to have to see where he's going to slot in affiliation-wise yeah. before we really can plan that out. Now, I will say, Chris, his death spores is just so neat. If characters in within range to Omega Red anytime during the game, they gain poison. And then if he ends his activation within range to of enemy characters, they gain poison. So like, there is a lot of interesting going things going on with him where it's like round one or round two, he could be denying people their plan to play the game because they're not getting power in the power phase because they have poison. It just could completely change the economy of the game, especially in those early rounds. Well, and you kind of touched on this with the sub-affiliation thought. You know, what if we're getting to the point where you consider Omega Red as a, a, a with maybe Viper, as a two-unit, you know, mm. poison suite that you just slot into other teams that have, you know, this is my core, and okay, it looks like... I'm going up against maybe an A-Force or something, you know, a big power team. Let's throw in the poison suite. Let's use this package. I like that, yeah. And just go. I agree. No, I think that that could be a really cool, we're calling it sub-affiliation. You could also call it just like counterplay, you know, within your 
building when you set across from your opponent. And as you mentioned too, Chris, I think I love Ronin and the Inhumans, but Omega Red yes. might be fighting him for his spot now in the four threat spot because Omega Red's not an affiliated Inhuman, but he's immune to poison as well. He definitely likes being teleported by Lockjaw. You know, Crystal's alongside him, giving out a bunch of conditions. He's giving out a bunch of poison. They all just want to sit by the Terran Genesis objective, you know? There's just cool things happening here. I, I think there's a lot of neat things with this character that we're, n- we're not going to see for some time. And once again, Chris, I was hoping he would be a good Brotherhood or Spider-Foes member, just canonically in lore, and I, I think he's probably fine in those teams, too. Like, because he deals good damage, he's got control. I think he's this weird mix of Venom, Kingpin, and Ronin, and I like that. That's really cool. Those are three characters I've had a lot of fun with, especially Ronan and Venom, as listeners of the show know, because, you know, he's got some of the control elements of Ronan and Venom, but also he's got the healing of Venom. Then he's also got some of the physical damage the Kingpin brings. You know, he wants to plant his feet somewhere and say, come to me. What's weird about him, Chris, is like, if you come to him, you're risking poison on your whole team. And can you handle that? Do you have a plan for that? I don't know. Time will tell, right? (laughs) Time will tell. But moving on to his cards that come with his pack. We've got Red Room Training. It's an unaffiliated reactive card. At the start of the activation phase, any allied character may spend two to play this card. The character that spent two power gains the stealth superpower until the end of the round. So cool, Chris. Someone can just pay two power to guarantee they live with that objective late game, you know? When they've got ranged characters looking at them from across the board. This is cool. I don't know how much Omega Red's going to use this because I think he's always in the fray. (laughs) Well, you think about it though, late game with Omega Red, this could force people... Come to him. If they have to put damage on you to get you off a point or something, this could force them closer to, uh, you know, deadly spore range. I think it's neat. Yeah. Once again, you were just talking about archetypes of teams. I think the stealth team is probably here now, just with characters in the game that are stealth. This is giving you another member of your team stealth you know like there's just different cool versions of the game going on within the game itself the next card we're going to talk about is carbondium synthesizer it is unaffiliated it is an active tactics card omega red may play this card remove all special conditions from this character it removes one damage and gains one power for each special condition removed in this way this is big Yeah, Because like we are talking about different ways to play the game, that condition team is coming. Mm -hmm. A, conditions are far more prevalent. They are. They're getting handed out far more than they did when we were just playing with core sets and, and the first few affiliations, you know. They've really evolved these rules slowly and these the complexity of these superpowers slowly as the player base has adapted to the game and learned the game. This could make Omega Red a hard counter to, you know, a team that may be very meta and very popular in the in the short or far future. Yeah, and it's just a way for him to generate power, Chris. And of course, too, like it's anti-stagger tech, which I always like. And it's also anti-incinerate and shock tech, which I like. Especially shock. A shock on Mega Red would be very bad. He wants to deal as much damage as he can. So reducing his yeah. dice is bad. And But the coolest part about this is that you get rid of the condition and then he gains power and heals. So it's just he's staying around more with this card and you kind of ask questions of your opponent. Do you want to give him like a red, a bunch of conditions when you see this card in my hand? And now you know he's going to heal a bunch, gain a bunch of power. So it's kind of this inverse control we've talked about on this podcast many times, you know, where it's like 
just your opponent knows what you can do, are they going to do things to send you down that path? Or are they just going to not do those things? And this card in, in your hand actually create a new system of play, even though you never played it. It's similar to what we talked about with Carnage, you know, where it's like Carnage is on the board, Danny Rand's on the board, he's got a bunch of power. Your opponent has to play a certain way. If they don't play a certain way, they're going to suffer for it. But also if they play that certain way, you're kind of forcing their hand. You're channeling them some direction that they might not want to do. So this is one of those cards. It's not bad. I think it's strong. And then, of course, the last card in his set, Grievous Wounds. We already have it in the game. We get an alt art for it, which I think is great. Probably good on a Mega Red. You know, you can spend power to play this card. And, of course, the character that's targeted with the Grievous Wounds card cannot have damage removed from it this activation phase. So this is a anti-field dressing tech. This is an anti-med pack tech. It's a very powerful card that's coming into the game and the meta a lot to stop those big characters from healing, you know, and around and stuff. It's not bad. But Chris, that's it for Omega Red. We'll have more thoughts on him in the future because he's going to be a tough character to crack fully and we will definitely give him a go. But we've got to move on to two very complex characters that we're only going to scratch the surface on. We're only going to talk about because I think these characters came out in some of the community was lukewarm on these characters. And I think that's incorrect because these are five threats that are unlike any five threats we've ever seen before. And you can't compare them in a vacuum to the Modox of the world and the Scarlet Witches of the world because I think purposes of characters like this going forward in the game are they're going to shake up more things than we even think about, especially Jean. And I just think we need to need to talk about Jean. So her name's Jean Grey and her alter ego is Jean Grey, which I absolutely adore. She's a five threat character. She has a stamina of six on her healthy side and a stamina of seven on her injured side. Very tanky for, you know, Jean Grey, but she's also a five threat. She has a medium move, a height of two and a threat cost of five. She's a small base, so normal movement. And her defenses are three physical, four energy and five mystic, Chris. So love that pretty standard stats for a five threat, you know, moved around different ways from other characters we've seen, but pretty, pretty normal. Her first attack is her strike. It's a range four mystic attack called psionic bolt. It's a strength of five and a power cost of zero. After this attack is resolved, Jean gains power equal to the damage dealt. She has the wild trigger sap power before damage is dealt. Target character loses one power for each wild in the attack roll, and this character gains the amount of power. So it's only five dice, but it is mystic. Really good. And then if she saps power, she gains more power on top of the power she's already dealing. And of course, you know, it's going to make her gain more power, really. So we will say that straight up. Oh, yeah. And I'm always a fan of power saps. Her next attack is going to be a physical attack. It is telekinetic force. It'll be range three strength nine power cost of six. So expensive. Let's see if it's worth it. Before damage is dealt, if the target character is size four or less, Jean Grey may throw that target character away short. On a wild, you will trigger explosive before damage is dealt. Other enemy characters within range two of the target character suffer one damage. So notice these are both before damage is dealt. You actually get to trigger the order of this, Chris, as the attacker. Very important to know. So you could trigger Very important to know. the explosive early on where they're clumped, and then you could throw the target away. This is very powerful, Chris. Nine strength, and then you get to throw them short where they're going to run into somebody else for a terrain feature, you know, take a collision, and then they, the other character has to make a save. Also, the explosive's not bad. I mean, auto damage is always good. Six power is a lot, and I think it's even more so when you see Jean's superpowers. 
So this might be a one-time game thing. <laughs> yeah, let's get into those superpowers. Mm-hmm. The first one is an active superpower. It is battlefield manipulation. It will cost you three power. Choose an interactive terrain feature size four or less within range three and throw it medium. It's awesome. This can only be used once per turn. Three power for a four size four throw medium is is really good. Value town, yeah. Her next superpower is is another active superpower. It is matter transmutation. It will cost you three power. Choose another character with an activated token within range two and push it short. A character can be moved by the superpower only once per turn. This is another character. This is an allied or enemy character. This is so powerful, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, man. We've talked about the strength of like, Doctor Strange's strike, just having to deal damage and moving people. And, you know, even Thanos and Scott's like field leader type abilities, how powerful that is for your team. But this is crazy. There's a reason why it's three. You know, the biggest part of MCP is positioning. And this completely breaks the positioning rule because you can move anybody. It's great. Lastly, messing with positioning, Gene has an incredible ability, an active ability called Shield Mind. It's two power. When Gene or an allied character within range four of Gene would be advanced, placed, or pushed by the effects of an enemy mystic attack or enemy superpower, you may use the superpower. The allied character is not advanced, placed, or pushed. Sorry, Modok. You don't get to battle the will. My team, says Gene. Sorry, Enchantress. That's awesome. You cannot enchant my team. The theme Seriously, is so good. That's, that is such a big counter to the meta just even have the threat of it being out there and like makes the rest of those characters innately not as powerful of a play i agree just her existence and i think that's great anything that's going to shake it up and let us see even higher diversity of teams being played mm-hmm. in the competitive meta which i think mcp's pretty good at having diversity in the competitive meta at the mm-hmm. moment this is great especially against you know something to help uh, fight the Modok. Modok's so strong as a character, but really what him and Enchantress so many places right now is they have that spend power to move characters abilities, and that's really powerful. Even Scarlet Witch doesn't have that, you know? So we've got to close out Jean's card. She's got two awesome innate abilities. Latent Psychic Potential is the first one. During the power phase, Jean gains one additional power. So she's an Asgardian in a way, which is great. Also, every round, Chris, she has Shield Mind online. Before she even strikes, she has because she has two power every round, and then she has the innate ability flight because of course she does. This is a neat character. We are only going to begin to understand Jean through so many games of play. You know, she is not like any other five threat. I mean, she's not even like Ghost Rider, who's one of the more bizarre five threats where he's about control and being with his team and things happening, giving him more power, helping his team. On Jean's worst day, Chris, she's in the middle of her team, and she's doing her psychic bolt twice and around, hopefully powering up, throwing stuff at enemies, but then she's, you know, using, more importantly, her two superpowers, matter transmutation and shield mind, as much as she can. She's moving your people away, and she's moving her allies up when she wants to, and then she's paying two power to, say, counterspell to your move. I like it. I really like her a lot, and oddly enough, I think she makes Scott's leadership ability more feasible. She might, Chris. And, you know, Scott can also feed her power. That's exactly why. She, she can do her spender she more often. She is going to need power. I don't know. You feed her You feed her power, maybe you get <laughs> two telekinetic forces off in a game. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> but Chris, she's great in Storm's team too. It's it's out of control because you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. You know me though. One track mind. But Storm could just like leapfrog her where she's most needed mm-hmm. for that round to set up her little gene bubble, you know, and that's just so cool. And then you've also got like a really powerful mystic X Men now. And yes. a five threat for X-Men, so. And, and a powerful five threat. That's something the X-Men needed. With the X-Men having Gene and Cable and Scott now, and the Storm affiliation, Scott has Field Leader. Cable has Body Slide. Gene has Move Your Allies and Move Your Enemies. And then Storm has the Lightning Bolt Hop. You've got one of the most mobile teams in the game and weird positioning and placement. It's really cool and someone's going to crack it. And it's going to be oppressive. I cannot wait. So now we have to talk about a character I have been so excited to see the card for. It it is Cassandra Nova. Cassandra Nova Xavier Mm -hmm. is the alter ego here. Going to have seven health on the healthy side, six on the injured side, medium move, size two, threat cost five, physical defense of two, energy defense of three, mystic defense of four. So like Gene, it stepped up incremental left to right. Yep. But just one value lower. And also, like Gene, we're going to have Psionic Bolt as our first attack on this character. Range 4, Strength 5, Power Cost 0. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. On a wild, you will trigger Sap Power, which of course is... Before damage dealt, the target character loses a power. Cassandra Nova gains a power. Exactly the same as Jean's. Very cool. Yeah. Exactly the same. She has a second attack that's also mystic. It's called Mind Possession. It's range three. Strength of six, power cost of one. Okay. <laughs> After this attack is resolved, you may advance the target character its speed. What? <laughs> Notice it says resolves. It's also a strength of six for one power cost. And you could do this twice in a round. You know, there's no restriction doing this twice, you know, in a round. Chris has a web warrior player. I am terrified of this card. The web warriors are horrible against mystic attacks and they're horrible when their speed is used against them. This is a hard counter to your favorite team. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. And I mean, this is more than that. This is, this is wild. It's strong. It's very strong. Getting big power pieces a move away from where they were, maybe out of scoring position, out of bubble position for characters like Ghost Rider. You got to respect her, Chris, because we've talked about already how powerful Doctor Strange's advance them short is with his ranged attack. So this is crazy. Ideally, you always do this on a character with a medium or long move. And you just cause them problems. But even if you do it to a short mover, you're giving them that semi-stagger, as I call it, where it's like they have to short move back as their first action if they really want to be in that area. Black Panther hates this too. And he is running a mock oh, yeah. in this game since he came out. So he also doesn't like Mystic because Vibranium Armor does not trigger on Mystic. It's rough, man. So let's talk about her last attack. It is a physical attack. It is Flesh Manipulation. Range 2, Strength 8, Power Cost 4. A wild will trigger explosive force. After this attack is resolved, other characters within range two of this character are pushed away short from this character. Pushed characters suffer one damage. So cool auto damage, little ping. More moves though. But yeah, it's it's getting people off of, you know, a point. It's good. Moving on, Chris, we've got to talk about her superpower. She has five. Her first one is an active superpower called Biokinesis. Costs three power. Choose an unique character within range three. It just gains the root and slow special conditions. 
Very strong. The condition game is getting very real, Chris. Yep. Continues. Her next superpower is a reactive superpower called Psychic Distraction. Costs two. When an enemy character ends its movement within range three of Cassandra Nova, this character may use the superpower. Roll four dice. The enemy character suffers one damage for each crit and wild rolled. So this is rockets, booby traps, Mysterio's tricks and traps. If this power deals at least one damage, Cassandra Nova may advance short. So just like Mysterio, she gets a short movement out of it. Rocket doesn't get that, but Mysterio and Cassandra Nova do. This is good, Chris. Once again, out of the dice rolling damage and free movement, potentially. Yeah, well, here's here's another big one. Her next superpower is a reactive superpower. It is telekinetic deflection. It will cost you two, and it is brace for impact. Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) If this character would suffer a collision, it may use this superpower. This character does not suffer damage from this collision. So, of course, like if she was thrown in someone else like they still have to make the save and do all that but she doesn't you know it's just permanent brace for impact insurance on her it's cool it's cool closing out her card she has a little bit more control if we didn't think this was enough she has an innate ability telepathic cloak characters must be within range three of this character to target with an attacks once again amg is my favorite board game company in the universe because they rename keywords in the game that thematically fit other characters this is not black widow's stealth this is cassandra nova's version of stealth very cool once again you got to get close to get her you know, and then closing out her kit, she has the innate abilities flight. We've assumed that, but here's the curveball, Chris. She also has the innate ability healing factor one, because why not? So here's what's weird. I think Jean's going to make more of a splash in the game as the game goes on. Oh, yeah. But this character is just a powerhouse five threat. She really is. I mean, she can do it all. She just got to have power to do it. And that's probably her biggest problem. She doesn't build as much power as Jean does. Because she doesn't have her power phase extra power builder. But she's a Swiss army knife, Chris. She can do it all. She can do a lot. And that mind possession attack is just terrifying. Right. Like, that's what she's just doing all the time, right? When you don't know what to do perfectly with her. You're just like, well, should I attack people with a six strength mystic and advance in their speed? Probably. I mean, Gene, Gene can stop it, can stop the advance, but it's still six dice for one power. That's good. Ugh. That's really good. This is a good character, Chris. And once again, we're going to have to see how the game goes with these characters. We haven't gotten like two fives and one box together. You know, it's just like two fives out of the game. There's already so few fives. We've talked about it's such an interesting design space. Fives don't always fit in the threat the same way as sixes do, the same way as a four and a two do, you know, all these things. Most times people want a three and a two instead of a five, right? So when you're making fives, you're making big decisions and they continue to wow us with this five design space, which is, like I said in a previous episode, they are the specialists of the six threats. Well, yeah, they're my, once again, they're my favorite characters. They're like what what we were talking about earlier in the episode around Omega Rudd with my ideal kind of four being almost a niche five, yeah. whereas a five is a very powerful character that maybe is just lacking a little something to be fully well-rounded or fully rounded into what we know six threats, you know, should theoretically be. Yeah. And six threats usually have more damage to back it up too, right? And it's just, it's a cool space, but 
more importantly, Chris, we have two other characters that can go toe to toe with Modok in a different way. Not that Modok's the standard, and I, you know, I really don't think he's as scary as everyone thinks he is. But you know, he was the first five that came out, so he did set the game in a certain way. You know, because he came out with Hulk, who was a six, and he was the first five. So he did just kind of set the game in a different way. But I mean more in the way of like we've got. Scarlet Witch, we've got Jean Grey, we've got Modoc, we've got Cassandra Nova, we've got all these sort of like big psychic mystic five threats that do different things in different ways. And that's really cool. I really do think that's really cool. And you know, Modoc is the easiest five threat to play out of all those characters. I think Scarlet Witch, Jean Grey, and Cassandra Nova are going to bring interesting challenges and the players that learn them and play them are going to get higher, like higher jumps out of them than, a, you know, someone who's just kind of pressing the easy button on Modoc and really just taking him to take him. And, you know, I, I think that's super cool. I really do. It's going to be fun to see how it develops over the next little while. And especially as, you know, in-person tabletop starts happening again. And once we start seeing some battle reports, start seeing how the kind of in-person meta drifts from maybe the TTS meta, or if maybe they stay the same, it, it should just be an interesting thing to keep an eye on i agree chris and closing out our news today we got to talk about some cards that come with gene and cassandra first one is a attack card called mental domination it's a physical attack that's range to strength of only two power cost of zero unaffiliated active during their activation cassandra nova or gene gray may spend three power to play this card choose an enemy character within range three of this character advance the chosen character short then the character that played this card makes the above attack, so the range two, two dice attack. When measuring range and line of sight for this attack, measure from the chosen character, not the attacking character, which is a weird, weird thing. Then add attack dice to the attack roll equal to the physical defense of the chosen character. You may re-roll any number of the opposing defense dice in the defense roll. So let's break this down because it is very complex. Choose an enemy character within range 3 of Jean Grey or Cassandra Nova. Pay 3 power. Advance them short. Then Jean Grey or Cassandra Nova makes the above attack. But when you measure range and line of sight for this attack, you measure from the chosen character not Jean Grey or Cassandra. So say we did mental domination to Beast. He's range three away. We advance him short any direction we want. He could even be further than range three now. You know what I mean? Because we advance him short. Then we measure range and line of sight from Beast, this range of two. And then we add dice to the attack roll equal to the physical defense of the chosen character. So this attack on the stack is two strength. Beast's defense is four strength. So this would be an attack of six. And then Beast would perform a six strength attack on somebody. And then you can reroll all of the defense dice that you don't like. It's like mind control. It's very cool. I was wondering how they were going to kind of add this aspect to the game because this is a very big thing, especially with the mutants because Mm. of how many, you know, psychic characters they kind of have. They really executed this well. The wording takes a bit to wrap your head around the first time, but once it clicks in your head, it clicks and it's, oh, oh, it's just possession. Okay. And it's like, oh, that's very cool. Yeah, and it's even cooler, Chris, if you think about like you can target someone weak in the back line that's mm-hmm. range three plus range two plus a, a base size and plus a short move away. That's incredibly far away. That That is incredibly far away. But they also took out kind of the potential for this to be very oppressive by not saying that you're attacking with one of the possessed character's attacks, but you're using this preordained attack that has the ability to get bigger if 
you plan it right, or if you're just lucky in the models that your opponent took. So it, it can be, you know, six dice. Yeah. That's good. Right. I mean, the theme here is on point. If you possess Carnage, you deal a seventh strength attack and move Carnage away short. And he's like attacking one of his own team members. Like that's very powerful. You know, that could really mess up the Carnage player's day, of course. And the last card here, Chris, is probably the best named card in the game. Gene with three exclamation points, unaffiliated. So once again, we don't need a team to do this. When an allied Gene Gray is dazed or KO'd, after the effect is resolved, an allied Cyclops or Wolverine may play this card. Notice that it has no cost. The character that played this card, whether it be Cyclops or Wolverine, may perform a attack on their card. So attack they can pay for, very good. There might be some Scott team synergy here too, Chris. If Scott's by somebody, he could pull power for them. Then he can do his optic devastation. Oh man, the theme too. Ooh, don't kill Gene. Don't kill Gene. Don't but here's it. what's even crazier, Chris. There's no range restriction on this. So if Gene's in the middle of the map and Logan's on that side point where we like him to be, just winning a 1v1 on somebody, do you want to daze Gene and Logan just gets to tap somebody on the side of the flank and just probably kill him? I love this card. As a predominantly X-Men player, I'm excited that Gene is going to step in and fill that five-threat role that I need in my team with an affiliated character. I'm excited that it's her, and I will be playing Scott and Logan beside her. Yep. Why not take this card? It costs nothing, right? It's a better version of Wakanda forever just for one character. Yep. So I think it's one of the coolest cards in the game. And like I said, synergy with Scott and Logan both. And, you know, hopefully you're. it's also giving Scott and Logan some power building if they strike outside of their activation. Very, very cool. Yeah, Chris, I think Gene slots right into your X-Men list. I think I'm more excited to play X-Men than I ever have because of Gene. <laughs> I'm very excited to get her on the table. It's it's going to be it's going to be she's cool. She's one of the most iconic characters of Marvel as we very well know. Well, as you know, I'm I'm neck deep in the Hickman, mm. you know, kind of new X paradigm that's happening right. in current Marvel and I'm kind of wishing they would have gone with the Marvel girl costume because I'm very partial to that costume at the moment, but you know, they did a pretty good job on the You sculpt. could do the color scheme kind of. I mean, no, 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 no. <laughs> you no, just no, got to no, go no, full no, 92. No. No, not happening. That's for other folks to do. It's true. I, I love seeing non. I love seeing other folks's you know non-canon colors. I'm just when it comes to this, I am a canon guy. I'm not against anyone painting their their models however they want. For me, it ha- it has to be some sort of canon, you know, color scheme uh, and and costume. Just. It's just the way I am. Except your Logan is X Force, which I'm not saying is not canon. It's completely canon. I'm just you know I do like that your Logan's X Force. I kind of wish that my Logan was not X-Force now. <laughs> You're all in on X-Men? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, oh well. We're working you towards that X-Men, X-Force double bag where everybody has crossover and you just take what you want, you know? I don't like double bags as much as you do, but... But the crossover... You know, I'm I'm down. I'm down to It's try. not like a double bag, like a Wakanda splashed into something. This is more of double bag. No, this you're right. Like You're right. your third X-Men affiliation. On top of the two you already have. It's you just true. bring Cable. And here's what's cool, Chris. I think Cable being five threat, Jane being five threat, you've got these really cool mm-hmm. centerpieces to your teams now. Maybe even both of them for 10. And then you build around them mm. on those like Demons Downtown type maps where you're just more about the fightiness in the center. And then you add your Logans in and you know your Storms and stuff and kind of build around that. But I'm excited for the future of X-Men and the way they build. I think the future is bright. 
Oh, yeah. I'm just excited for all future mutant releases, just period. Oh, and let's also mention, Chris, Jean Grey, you know, and poor Ma, man, because he's five threat, right? We talked about all these amazing five threats that are mystic attackers and stuff. I love him, but he's not holding a candle to these characters. Jean's a great Avenger because you're using these superpowers oh, yeah, sure. every turn, every, every turn. And that's oppressive. I think there's an interesting space for an Avengers, probably number two, Rad for X-Men, straight up. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that more later. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. We really thank you guys that are patrons because we know it's been tight with just the world the past year or so. And just, you know, there's a lot of content creators out there making Marvel Christ Protocol content too. So it really does mean a lot, those of you that have chosen to support our show. And we've got a lot of things planned. And Chris, you know, episodes like these news, super deep dives and impressions, you know, wouldn't even happen without things like the Patreon because we're also keeping our regular schedule with our character deep dives and we just thought you know this would be a nice way to extend the show in a different way and it seems like you guys really like this so the patreon helps us do more things like this and we've got a lot of cool plans we do we have a ton of stuff that we want to do but it, it all just takes time and just a lot of patience <laughs> but it's true it will happen eventually and i'm very excited about some of the things coming up I agree. Catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Furies Finest, and you can follow the show on social media. Find us on Twitter at Furies Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Furies Finest. Email us with any inquiries or ideas at furiesfinest at gmail.com. And if you have an Apple device or a partner or friend with an Apple device, go on to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five-star review. It really helps us out. If you want to write anything on top of that, it helps out even more and keeps Chris and I going when we're, you know, working on notes, when we're reading, we're working on our content, when I'm doing all this production for the show, it really helps us out and we really appreciate it. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse was saying, a review anywhere is really, really great. Yeah. I see some of you guys have left us reviews on Facebook and things like that too. And that actually really helps as well. So anywhere you can give us a review, it really helps us out on top of the Patreon. You can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And I have a Star Wars show all about Star Wars canon, lore, and legends, the canon cantina. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T where I tweet. We're preparing for the uh, NBA draft at the moment. Lots of Chris tweets. Yeah, that's that's going to be what I'm going to be tweeting about at the moment. Makes a lot of sense. Thunder up. <laughs> well, guys, this is a really exciting episode. You know, these news episodes have been a treat. I didn't think we'd get to talk about Spider-Foes, New Avengers, Jean Grey, you know, Cassandra Nova, all these crazy things. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know. But join us next episode when we do another character deep dive and we continue our New York street level characters. But until then, thanks for listening, true believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 